Welcome to episode 16 of From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. Today's guest is Jordan Terry of Adaptable Polarity. Today's conversation is extremely intriguing as we examine the body through both the macroscopic and microscopic lens. There are a lot of intellectually stimulating ideas, but naturally the conversation flows around the law of polarity and the idea of dual existence. We discuss the interconnectedness of the body and its many systems. There are a lot of great concepts here, so without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to episode 16 of From the Ground Up Athletic Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Curtis, and today I sit down with Jordan Terry of Adaptable Polarity. We're going to discuss a variety of topics, a lot of interesting things. Uh, We were kind of talking beforehand, and I told him I think we'll get a little philosophical today, but you'll see that all these things tie back very nicely to the body and give a really nice macro view into the micro. I see the macro, the the large coming to the small and everything kind of coming together. So we'll be looking at a lot of interesting topics. So with that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, introduce what Adaptable Polarity is about, and then we'll jump into the topics. Cheers. Thanks. I don't even know where to start. I love the uh, concept of the macro and the micro, uh, the big and the small. And honestly, that's what and where Adaptable Polarity kind of came from. My background started in architecture, decided I didn't want to do that. Uh, moved into human architecture, delved down all sorts of rabbit holes, and honestly, sitting in a place in space right now, I'm not even sure what I believe in other than the client and the body before me. And so I was just looking at, you know, the universe and looking outside, um, kind of that Taoistic, Taoistic point of view, and then bringing it inside and internal. How do we adapt to the person that's before us and how do we apply, you know, what's universal to everyone out of that came concepts and ideas and dots connecting. And honestly, I don't claim anything to be new, um, just new ways of looking at stuff. I really enjoy sharing things, sharing my ahas. And then maybe if I share an aha with someone else and they have an aha and then they have an aha back, then we can have this beautiful interchange of teacher, student, student, teacher. What adaptable polarity has become in the current new world is mostly just educational social media I also enjoy having that architectural background, producing art, anatomical art, graphic design that hopefully uh, is a little less boring than the standard anatomy images that we see in our textbook. Previously, uh, it's a, and they still exist, they just haven't been taught because of how our world has turned. Devil Polarity is a series of three courses that I've developed, kind of an umbrella for all things, creating a space and place that if you're a trainer, a chiro, an acupuncturist, whatever, however you do it, and whatever your backgrounds are and all the modalities, all those things are welcome. Everybody's welcome. Uh, They all have their place in space. As I went through my own personal career, there was many times where I was like, oh, wow, this is it. Everybody just needs this. And by, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday that week, I was like, oh, uh, not everybody needs it. And so back to how do we adapt and how do we understand that? The general law of polarity, and that is we live in this seemingly dualistic world, poles of night and day. And then again, at some point, we're like, it's now nighttime. And at some point, we're like, it's now daytime. And there's that kind of zone in between. And had read uh, Dr. Rudolph Stone's polarity therapy, all the literature that he has out there. It's all for free. And he kind of take an Ayurvedic and read on into polarity therapy. And he even makes a comment on that. And so I was just taking some of his principles and all the other things, just allowing that to create something as welcoming to all modalities that people can adapt to for their own practices and clients or patients. I think that's my intro. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. Uh, a couple of things sounded really nice there that I, that I enjoyed that really stuck out to me. Uh, we will kind of go back a little bit over the law of polarity. I'll let you talk about uh, polarity as far as in therapy, because I'm not as familiar with that. And I'd like to kind of delve a little bit into that. You referenced that in your intro. And then the idea of the client and the body before you. I liked hearing that because you often see people being a part of a system and it's, it's just like one big system. And every time you come to me, I'm going to try and address this one thing, essentially. And you could have imbalance in muscles. And it could, it could be a variety of things in between each individual that comes to you. It might be in the same location, but there could be other drivers that are completely and totally influencing that. And not just muscles, but, you know, other uh, neurological things as well. So the client before you, how their body speaks to you, you being with some, someone that works with soft tissue as well, I'm assuming, kind of a hands-on, you've got your hand on the pulse. So I, I really like to hear that because, again, that's speaking to trying to flow with it and see what the body is giving. So, so that all sounded uh, very nice there. And, and you talked about the idea of polarity here and the dual existence within everything. So you talked about polarity therapy. I'm not as familiar uh, with that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That comes from Dr. Rudolf Stone. You know, he was a bone mover, uh, osteopath, I think I, osteo and Cairo. And he developed uh, kind of his own stuff from seeing thousands of people. One of his terms that's my favorite is wireless anatomy and that's uh, honoring that there's stuff going on in and around us that we can't see and you know he's got protocols and ways and things to do stuff as well and it was just more that concept of poles uh, of positive negative and neutral and so we see that in hurricanes the eye of the storm is very calm that's neutral and it's a high and a low pressure that are pushing against each other really hard and that kind of dualistic pool is what creates tension in this physical world and so then well how do we bring that into the physical body well if we look at a joint we have a push pull around the joint um what's the polarity of a joint well um you know the knee is the simplest for the example and that's flexion extension if we get into more complex joints like in the feet there's 26 bones and 33 joints we have all three planes of motion happening flexion and extension or dorsiflexion plantar flexion abduction and adduction adduction uh, internal rotation or eversion, inversion, all of that all happen at once. And so if we can understand if someone's lacking one, right, they have, they have a flexion, but not an extension, then that helps hone us into a big thing. So even though I might be having someone come with a hip complaint, but they can't dorsiflex their foot and the range of motion between their two hips is really similar. Well, then I'm going to be looking at that foot rather than the hip, even though that's where they're complaining. So yeah, that's the general polarity in, in therapy, where it comes from. Is all of our functional anatomy is termed in that, right? We have one plane of movement and it has two sides to it. So whether that's sagittal, frontal, or transverse, we explain all of our movement in, in polar terms. Yeah. And, and again, you're referencing something there. You're talking about like the hips. Uh, having hip issues. And if you look at the foot and you see that something's off there, again, the problem's probably away from where the problem appears to be. And that, again, kind of speaks into into the flow of everything. We're going to get the flow in, in all the body systems here in a little bit. And that'll be nice because that, that again, speaks to the fact and how everything integrates macro to micro. That's, that's I try and take cliff notes as I prepare for a podcast. And that's like one of the things that I was seeing as I was kind of looking through a lot of your different concepts. So uh, before we jump into the idea of neural availability, 
what was kind of your light bulb moment to where you begin? Was it just by looking at the body, continuing to work with the body? And then you kind of discovered this idea of polarity and then you begin to view it through that lens or what would you say kind of your aha moment was or how you kind of transcended into that view? Yeah, well, previously referenced, um, it was kind of going out, you know, as a course junkie and just signing up and writing checks before I even knew what I was signing up for. Sometimes like, yeah, I'll go to that. And then putting that in with the experience over time. And also, you know, myself, what I found true for myself and in my own body. And so would find, you know, some coping mechanisms and I'm like, oh, wow, this really helps. You know, just one of the classic stories is for a while there, I had pain after driving, change the position of the car, whatever, but I'd have like some sort of iliopsoas, anterior right side. So I thought it was just, oh, I'm driving wrong, my seat's wrong, whatever. And I would, um, you know, get out of the car and be able to treat it and move and I would feel better and that was great and fine. I'd go about my day and then started, you know, exploring other things and doing other things. And my major injury was I took on concrete skateboarding and left a nice one inch hole in my jaw and got my jaw treated. And then I noticed I was driving and getting out of the car and had just forgotten about pain. And that's my favorite. When you work with someone and you're like, oh yeah. And how's your elbow? And they're like, my, my, my elbow. Oh, right. That, that did hurt me at one point in time. It was just gone and just forgotten it. And so it was kind of this adventure of finding that like some stuff worked for me some point in time and my clients as well and other places and spaces, not as much. And so how do we find that appropriate thing? How do we listen to that client before us? And sometimes the words, even though they're doing their best to be honest, the body, it doesn't lie. It's in the moment. It's there. That's all it's got. And basically, again, three responses. So that comes back to the polarity seeing similarities through different things, finding pairs of stuff, positives and negatives, and then also triangles, um, create positive, negative, neutral, and then being the architect and lover of uh, Buckminster Fuller, the geodesic domes and everything. And I started looking at it. And Bucky Fuller says the triangle is the only structural geometric figure that we find in nature. And that's because it works in compression and intention and I was like, oh, wait, I know a system like that that works in compression and tension. tension. That's its integrity model. That's that's us. That's that's who we are. And so I guess I answer your question. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you just took me through a lot of the different realizations you had there. You know, I can I can also speak to the, the course thing. Like it's like you take a little bit here, you take a little bit there. And then as you begin to marry them all together, things make a lot of sense. So I can I can speak to that as well. And then the things you said, like as far as like tensegrity, I saw a quote that you that you had on one of your things the other day about the uh, saltwater bag suspended basically in air. I really liked that one as well. Um, so I saw you throw that on social media and that, that makes a lot of sense. I had James, I had James Earls on, on a previous podcast and we talked a good bit about tensegrity and all that stuff too. Let's jump to neural availability because I feel like, again, we got some philosophical concepts going on here and that's the idea of being able to connect and disconnect uh, within the firing rate of a muscle essentially is what we're referring to. Correct. And, yeah. I, and, and within the world, I feel like connect and disconnect. I feel like we really focus on connection rather than the ability to disconnect, even in our modern world. You know, I said we'd get a little bit philosophical, but 
we're always focused on how connected we can be to everything. We never really get introverted, look within ourselves and disconnect from things to make our connection stronger, I feel like. So again, I feel like you find those concepts, they come together to how the body works. Uh, So I wanted to look at this because I'm a sports prep coach and I'll have, you know, these strong kids, they have such a great force, such a great drive, but the return is very weak because the disconnect portion, the relaxation portion will be off because they are so strong. So I'm wanting to look at the ability to connect and both disconnect and kind of what you would see with somebody that lacks that flow between those two states. Well, yeah, we do see that a lot. As you pointed out, uh, our culture is on, 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 go, go, go. But I think there's a growing movement in honoring the disconnect. One of my favorite posts that flew around here this past year was um, vacations for everybody. And it was so funny and people misread vacations and read something else and it became an argument about something else and then once they finally read it, they're like oh yeah i'm for vacations for everybody too yeah i read that one that was funny <laughs> um, that reset that relax that good sleep and that ability to you know tap into the parasympathetic the rest the digest the restore it's not valued because i don't know not too many people have figured out a way to make money off of that but it's huge right and and in the recovery and even in the the strength world right like if you do chest day every day that's not beneficial and you got some soreness and doms and then just go at it the next day you're just ripping tissue up so yeah the the rest and restore becomes so vital and that's just concept of uh, of balance uh, the pendulum swing of being active and going out and doing sports but then also there's tons of research and dr joe dispenza gets into how um, people who sit and like meditate upon, think about their sport or activity have shown just as much increase as like getting out there and doing it. Yeah, the, the mirror neurons. And so then in terms of like neuroavailability, I did a post on it today of just blood pumps. Like our, our muscles are blood pumps and they're flushing contraction and relaxation. And if we're not doing that or not doing it appropriately, whether that's from repetitive movements or injury, the nerves don't get washed in the blood. And if we don't have blood around a nerve, well, we don't feel it. And if we don't feel it, then the brain doesn't have that neural availability it becomes uh, what I've heard termed. And I like saying as well as dark zones. And so, you know, I kind of view the human nervous system as a, a this glowing electrical tendrils all going back to the brain but sending information both ways and you know I don't have a forward arm swing equal to my my right arm equal to my left arm then you know suddenly some of those zones start to get blurry non-existent and so then what happens when we need to run or exert ourselves really hard well the brain is amazing and it will reroute and go around all sorts of different ways until it's potentially dangerous and one of the best ways the body loves communicating about that is some pain yeah and like every everything we spoke to there like one of the one of my aha moments within strength training is like it's not how fast you contract it's how fast you can relax for dynamic movement and speed strength and all those things you always you always look to what appears apparent but actually the relaxation to facilitate those contractions is is more important so you find those things all over the place. And you mentioned some things that tie very nicely to our next point. I want to focus on compensation because compensation is a part of the human condition. It's unavoidable. Uh, every single one of us is going to be a bundle of compensations walking around and they'll vary throughout, you know, given situations. So I'd like to talk a little bit about compensations, 
what drives them, and then what can occur uh, if they're left unresolved over time, how they can be compounding. What drives them? Probably avoidance of pain. The brain is always seeking, brain body always seeking homeostasis and balance, you know, so not falling over, that's a good drive. Um, not experiencing pain, avoiding those things like we're programmed to avoid bite, scratch, itch, pain. It's cellularly in there from way, way back, you know, nomadic culture way, way before. But then, you know, you mentioned the philosophical, then there's also, we can't disconnect the emotional body from the body as well. So there's all sorts of psychological components that can be there. Um, There's all sorts of somatic studies and emotional release. Some of us use exercise and movement for that kind of exhausting that energy, which can be good on one side of things. Well, anything can be good. Anything can be bad, I suppose. Um, But yeah, if I'm then running because I'm running away from something in my life that might not be beneficial. And then all of a sudden I'm going to a therapist and I'm like, yeah, I don't understand. I got plantar fasciitis. Every time I run, it hurts really bad. Well, if I'm running in a bad state mentally, then that could transcend into a physical experience or just transferring tension in my jaw and using my jaw way too much. And then ah, I got this neck pain, but really it's just, you know, I'm gritting and grinding through my jaw. I do believe that uh, also pure injuries, you know, shit does happen. Car accidents, ski injuries, breaks, all those things. Like I said, taking on concrete with my jaw that scars and those traumas, they rewrite or they don't rewrite, they write their own software. So they become a hardware thing. They're an interruption or like say they're a disruption to the force of the fascial network and they write their own software. And originally, you know, the body and for quite some time can view that they want to protect that scar uh, like C-section scars. Um, it is a classic. And so it'll keep the abs short and tight, which will make a back unhappy. And so if we can bring back some blood flow to that scar, some neural availability, some connection to the abs, some awareness to the, the conscious brain and the motor control center of the brain, a little bit of the unconscious, then all of a sudden we can create a better balance, have better intra-abdominal pressure. And all of a sudden I don't have back pain anymore. <laughs> I didn't have a C-section though. <laughs> <laughs> But I do find, and I've had my own experience that, you know, scars also, if we kind of knock them, rub them, scratch them, you know, they need work over time. They also grow and replace every seven years. We're a different cellular being, even though, you know, I still think I'm me. I'm not the same. I was seven years ago on many levels. And so, um, yeah, deep, big scars do seem to wreak havoc on movement and therefore compensation that neural availability of, of the view of how the brain views the body um, neurologically and connectively and movement-based. Yeah, a lot of concepts there that, I, that I've spent time talking uh, to other people about and, and looking at at this, like a compensation is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's necessary for survival. Uh, biologically, you know, whenever we had to run away from things, we had to figure out a way to get it done. And, and compensation is just kind of like something that's naturally come into to getting a task done. But, you know, whenever I think I was looking at the post that you put on that, it was kind of like the compounding effect and how that becomes the new normal. And if more stress continues to pour into the system, then the compensation will most likely grow 
and spread. And I can also speak to that kind of like the perception of unsafe joint actions as well. I spent a lot of time talking to Sean Sherman uh, from Square One on that. I've done his system. And, you know, it really focuses on getting back to joint actions and, and the perception of that joint action being safe. Because until it, it views that, then something else has to drive what the object of that joint action would be, essentially. So a lot of the things you said there in avoidance of pain, whenever I'm working with athletes, I don't want to put them in pain. But athletes, after they get hurt, you sprain an ankle or something, they like to immobilize it forever. And the real issue is you're not having mobility anymore in that ankle uh, over time. So I always try and slowly regress them into it. And I say, take take the brace off. Okay, let's put a little weight on it. Let's yeah. work the band. It's, there's all, there is that natural avoidance of pain, but you always have to make people realize that we have to drive back into that. We have to perceive safety. Otherwise, it's a threat all day. It's like attacking your shoe. Absolutely. And you're working with athletes and they're the best compensators in the world, right? They sprain their ankle and they learn like, well, if I run like this, then my foot doesn't hurt. And then it's like, shit, now my knee hurts. But if I run like this, then my knee and my foot don't hurt. Well, now my back and my hip hurt. But if I run like this and then they show up in my office and they're like, my neck hurts. (laughs) I'm like, what's up with that ankle down there? And they're like, yeah, but I came in for my neck. (laughs) Yeah. And it's all connected in there, right? Like the ankle bones connected to the neck bone. Yeah, especially the the whole jaw thing. I talked to Dan Fichter a couple episodes back. We talked about the jaw, and I'd heard it before, but it just kind of flashed back in front of my eyes. You don't realize it. Sometimes I'll check myself in a day, and it's like I've got like a a locked jaw, like I'm I'm clenched. You know, crazy. It's the it's the highest joint up here, so downstream it should regulate. You know that tension and that stress that you're displaying there. And I mean considering our uh, sedentary lifestyle of modern Western culture, it's probably the most used joint (laughs) talking and eating and drinking all day long. Yeah. It's huge. I also, uh, you know, just a little polarity of the neck and the cranium, you know, a lot of people with the upper neck stuff. Well, yeah, we have a structural connection back here, but this is the other side that this joint is balanced. And so if we throw that off, there was a, I forget his name. He's, he calls himself a cranial dental specialist. He's in the Santa Fe area, but he was talking about how the mandible will literally knock the first couple cervical, like C1 through three out of place. And so then, you know, you go, you get it adjusted, you go and you eat and you're like, ah, my neck hurts again. And you go and you go back to the stressful job or a social situation and you're like, ah, my neck hurts again. And yeah, it's the jaw per square inch, you know, pound for pound, not size related, but pound for pound, the masseter is the strongest muscle in the human body. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And, and we look all these other places and it's just right there, literally right in front of you. So we look all these other places, but so, so many different things. We're speaking again to all this interconnectedness and, and flow between the system. So looking at the next thing, it actually covers flow. So I really like this post. I'd like to spend a little bit of time here because there's so many different systems within the human body. And I've spoke on other podcasts, the fact that we're so isolationist and we like to put things into buckets and peer into one bucket at a time without looking at the other buckets and how they interrelate to one another at, at a singular uh, time. So looking at the role of flow between different systems, just a couple of them that I've seen you list, the nervous system, the, the digestive system, respiratory, vascular, lymphatic. I've never even gave the lymphatic system any thought until I started reading into some different things and read some of the old, I can't remember the researcher, uh, but reading all those different methodologies they use there and the flow and facilitation of lymph around the body, it makes a lot of sense. So I'd like to, to focus on flow 
what factors can affect different systems and how these systems, some of them interrelate and can, you know, bad adaptations or, or, or bad compensations throughout our body. First off, like you said, like the looking into all these individual buckets, I suppose, you know, coming into the therapeutic world through massage, you know, we're, we're taught muscles and that's what you're working on. But really, I find humans are way more special and maybe the word powerful than we realize and recognize on our own. And then collectively, I mean, we're incredibly powerful healers. And so the quote comes to mind. Uh, it's like a Chinese proverb paraphrase, basically, of where the mind goes, energy follows. So that's like on the pain side of things, it cracks me up. Like if you ever like nick your finger and just like a little tiny cut and then you hit it like 20 times in a day and you're like, are you serious? Like, do I really this many times hit this little tiny square inch of my finger, you know, but our awareness is there and just that pain and that signal and the attention is there. So just the same as when we work, if we think we're just working on bones, if we think we're just working on fascia, if we think we're just working on muscles, that's never true, right? quote that you said earlier was kind of my favorite it's loosely from job's body a book by dean juan about how we're basically um, saltwater bags on an infrastructure right our bones are mostly floating in salt water but we have problems when it's bone on bone because they're supposed to be floating in this matrix of connectivity and so when we and, and we're like a sponge but pretty you know we're still porous right we sweat but we, we're pretty contained and so when we put pressure onto one spot, I'm there for changing the density of the entire sponge. And so I think this is kind of where acupressure came from in their studies. They were like, wow, when we change the pressure here, you know, fluid has to go somewhere else. We're this contained system, you know, hopefully someone doesn't pee themselves when you push on them. And that will neurologically at one spot, reduce blood flow and create an ischemic response to the muscle tissue. Um, if you stay and play with it long enough, then the thixotropic property of the fascia will be accessed immediately. You know, tons of nerve endings are telling you that they're receiving the touch. Now we're feeling pressure. And then over time, like if you sit on your foot, blood flow is gone and the nerves shut down. Right. And that's why it's all weird when we stand back up and all the pins and needles of the blood rush back in. Um, so it was like, well, maybe we're affecting more than we think we are, both through touch and movement. And there's this guy, Dr. Jerry Tennant, um, that he views the meridians, the um, Chinese meridians, as well as kind of they parallel with the fascial meridians, right? There's this author, he's a doctor and acupuncturist, um, Kyoen. He wrote a book called Spark the spark in the machine, the spark in the machine. Yeah. I've, I've heard yeah. it. I can't remember the exact. And he, he's cracks me up. He's like, yeah, surgeons have said they've dissected the body through and through and they've found no meridians. And he's like, there, that's funny because they're using the fascial lines, the space in between the S curve of the Tao, the, the things that when they rub, create the piezoelectricity and flow, they're using those meridians to dissect the body. Uh, that one was a big aha for me, like, oh, wow. And so why I bring that up in the adaptive polarity is because if you can be a little bit more honed in on like, oh, I'm working on limp. One of my, one of my students, uh, colleagues, he's also a teacher of mine, his name's John McMahon. He 
um, wrote to me about lymph one time and was finding and having all this aha. And I was like, I don't know about lymph, man. I don't know. It's like the new <laughs> pink. And um, anyways, he ended up making me a pink t-shirt that said that. And I said, if he did, I'd wear it. And so I taught that weekend in a pink t-shirt, but it is, it's profoundly powerful. It's our dump truck uh, garbage removal system. And so to bring it back, I was doing a demo in front of the class and like going through the different levels of flow and lymphatics came up. And so she had some restriction and neck pain and lymph came up. And so I only know, you know, the pet towards the watershed lymph drain it always in my day, I thought it was the most boring thing ever. And so I sat there and just like in front of a class and pet this lady's neck. And then we kind of rechecked everything, tested and it was good. And we went to a breakout and kind of, you know, make my way around to the different tables during the course. And she comes over to me and like still petting her neck. And she's just like, how, like my neck feels so good. And all you did was pet me right here. And I was like, that's what apparently your body needed at that point in time. Yeah. And, and if you look at these systems that we listed too, like if you look at the nervous system and you think about the respiratory system, I've talked about this multiple times that the respiratory system is off the nervous system is going to be driven into a state of survival. If you look at things like, uh, the endocrine and the reproductive system. If those things are out of balance, all these systems, they just merit. It's just a beautiful marriage as you go through the body. But again, if you only look at it in its isolated bucket, you wouldn't see how these things flow together. So whenever you list them all out and you think about them, yes. But like you talked about, you're, you're doing the lymphatic thing. If you only went in there, okay, I'm doing, I'm working on their lymphatic right now. It might not even be that, right? But that's that's what you're driven towards. But there's so much flow and so much integration because the body is an integrated being. Uh, so I, I loved that concept. Whenever I read, I was reading through all the free articles that you had. I loved reading that because it made a lot of sense. Cool. Yeah, the the idea of like a, you know, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. And I was like, well, why not have a you know tool belt? Why not have a toolbox? Why not build a tool shed and have access to all those things? And that way, you know you can see whether it's a nail, whether it's a screw, whether, you know, whatever is in front of you and that's needed and have the appropriate tool for such a thing. I think, I think I can answer probably, or I have a good idea of why, because whenever you focus on one, you feel like a specialist. Whenever you focus on all, you feel like, you know, nothing probably. So a lot of people, that's probably why, you know, I, I can speak to that. You like to feel like a specialist, but uh, whenever you see it all, you feel like, you know, nothing, but knowing nothing's better than only, having a, a jaded one-sided view, I suppose. So one of the concepts that ties very closely to flow is the idea of holding space. And this kind of references, I believe, uh, as I read it back to clients as well, like you working with a client, the ability to hold space. So I'd like to kind of go over the concept of holding space. And that kind of ties back again to the ability to disconnect and connect appropriately to the moment, I feel. So if you can just go over a little bit of your concept of holding space. Absolutely. This definitely comes from a cranial sacral principle and it's, you know, just showing up, not about me or what I want. Right. So just, and not even like judging, like, you know, you listen to the client, they have a complaint. Usually that's why they're in seeing me. I don't really get clients to come in like, I feel great. <laughs> like <laughs> let's get some work done. No, you know, I got pain. I got limited range of motion restriction. And so, you know, in, in cranial sacral, it's, it's, you know, you're holding the spine or the cranium and just not having to do anything, just honoring that system that's right there before you. And 
it's wild when you develop the sensitivity, one does the training and can feel that in their fingertips. I mean, there's so much going on. We're never really still, right? There's always a bump, bump of the heart going. There's blood flow coursing through us. There's digestion happening, breath, not to mention we're spinning around at, what is it? Like 70,000 miles per hour, or maybe that's kilometers per hour whirling around through space. So if we can be as perceivably still as possible, so much seems to happen. Then taking that outwards into more of a treatment thing of like, you know, someone comes in and I've got a hammer. I want a hammer. Like, no, let's just see. Let's hear a lot of my treatments vary person to person because also I recognize in their stories, in their intake, what they believe. And if we're working against someone's belief, you know, that immediately you're, you're going up a uphill battle, you know, like placebo has been proven to be 51% effective. So if I don't have belief in one board, then I'm doing something wrong, I think. Yeah. And if I don't believe, if my beliefs and their beliefs don't meet up, then we're having a conversation so we can kind of see eye to eye and see how we're similar um, and what's going on there. Um, but then that concept of holding space is also, you know, for myself, um, when I work, I kind of switch, you could say from a yin to a yang, um, a receptive to an active. So that's stepping back and seeing the whole picture and the macro and then seeing, you know, honoring like, wow, my body's really drawn to that left ankle today. And just then going into that micro and seeing and honoring that I teach something within the adaptable player is called a body pendulum. Uh, or a sway test as it's also called and that's the simple principle like the body only has three major responses at least if we're talking in the myoskeletal realm um, and that is to contract to relax or lock so there's three options and that translates into like attraction you know see a strawberry like ooh, i want a strawberry oh cookie and we move towards it and approach it or like that's sharp, that's hot, that's, you know, and we withdraw, there's a, a disgust, a smell, we remove ourselves from that. And then again, there's that neutral concept of like, meh, take it or leave it, I don't care. So if I can hold that space also for getting out of my head, getting out of the fix it brain, getting out of the, I have to do something and show up because this person is paying me, then I actually end up finding myself in a better space of just being there of holding that space, creating a container that someone feels safe in, that someone feels heard, um, seen, and and held in not just a physical way, but healing way, healing yeah. manner. <clears throat> and a lot of the things you said, like I, I, I teach school as well, and one of my least favorite units, but one of my favorite individual lessons is on the idea of the fact that there's multiple realities present within one situation. And I always tell the kids, like, we're all sitting in this classroom right now at 745 in the morning. My reality is different than your reality. And neither one of those is necessarily true. It's just our own version of reality. And that's that's a lot of like holding space. And then thinking about like in the weight room, as far as holding space, I'm thinking in a little bit different, but I'm also thinking about that awareness again. And I'll have these, I'll have, we'll do extremely slow isometrics and we're lowering at a rate to where it's going to take us three and a half to four minutes, maybe five to get to the bottom. And uh, the first time they do it for the first minute, they feel like Superman. 
And then I have them on it. I know exactly where they need to be in order to get, you know, the, what I'm trying to drive there. And I'm, and it's hard to explain that by moving this slow, you're actually firing the muscles extremely fast because the muscles are having to fire at a rate to keep you structurally integrated and hold and hold you up, you know, so they, their mind's always blown with that. And then they figure out about three minutes into it that, yeah, this is getting a little bit difficult. And I start saying, okay, now look at your foot, look at your foot and how it's been moving this entire time. Look at your ankle complex. Now look at your quad. Uh, so I love doing things like that with my kids to say, that's like holding space. It's like being in the moment. And then their whole perspective shifts after that. That's it. Being in the moment, showing up, being totally present and aware. I'm going to uh, read off pretty much this entire quote. You put it out the other day and I loved it. So I'm going to read out this post and I don't want to talk about it because it pertains to the frontal lobe. So it's, a, it's that post you put out on the frontal lobe. You had some really uh, good thoughts on that. So this, this post said, the hardest part about change is not making the same choices you did the day before. The moment you decide to make a different choice, get ready because it's going to be feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel unfamiliar. When we are in creation mode, we are activating the brain's creative center, the frontal lobe, the newest, most evolved part of our human nervous system and most adaptable part of the human brain. The frontal lobe center is the center of attention, focus, concentration, awareness, observation, and consciousness. When the frontal lobe is working in creative mode, it looks out over the landscape of the entire brain and gathers all the brain's information to create a new mind or body, new movement, new body, new nervous system, new brain. So can we talk about that? Because I think it, it ties back again to kind of like holding space, being in the moment. And let's talk about how the frontal lobe influences some of the things that we probably just referenced. Give quotes of Dr. Joe Dispenza on that. I, I didn't come up with that brilliance, but uh, I love his uh, work and talk. And yeah, geez, so much came up within that. So the frontal lobe is what lights up when we do a new task. And after, you know, every time we repeat that task, the brain is learning how to do it automatically to do it better the next time and to just have it paved down. So it's kind of like hiking through the woods. If you don't have a trail the first time you go through, you know, you kind of find your way and then you find your way to a zone that you like and you want to come back the next time. And so you follow that trail again and you notice some broken twigs and some stepped on down plants. And so we begin to pave that pathway. Like roads fascinate me, especially like some of these monster giant highways that we have out here in California. Like who's the person who's like, we're going that way. And the guy's like, that way, boss? And he's like, that way. And they're like, okay, like call the dynamite guy. Um, and then, you know, like um, footpaths and uh, trails that, you know, started out and got paved that go through canyons and stuff and then they became you know cart pathways and then eventually someone paved it and that same process happens for us and you know the concept of um nerves that fire together wire together they just have better connection to flow and so when we do new things we're kind of lighting up the brain it's kind of like the failure is is so looked down upon and so scary and we're so afraid of failure, but really that's kind of like where life begins. Life begins outside your comfort zone, that kind of quote. And so, you know, working with some people and they're like, Oh, I just, I just need to change the way I walk. And I'm like, well, that's actually not as simple as it sounds. Cause they're like, I'll just think about it. I'm like, you're going to think about it. Like every time you take a step, like you're going to get up and walk to go pee 
with your bladder telling you like, I got to go and I got to go now. And you're going to think about like left foot heel strike. Then I'm going to plant. Now I'm going to shift my weight. It's like, no, that but if we can start introducing little new concepts, uh, new movements, quote, Gary Ward, author of uh, what the foot, uh, the bar, the body is hardwired to connect. I mean, it is connect as we were talking about with blood flow and neural availability. As soon as the dark zone that we we're talking about becomes highlighted to the brain, the brain's like, oh, okay, I got it. I see it. And the brain and the body will instantly change. And so there's that kind of, um, it was an interesting part that I didn't, that I really heard this time around was that it's the seat of consciousness. And I guess what it, it's that, that forward thinking, that new thought that kind of happens up here versus the reptilian brain, the old thought, the reactions and the program, the motor control center of the brain and the cerebellum that's like, I got this and we're doing it like this Mm -hmm. and we're going to keep doing it like this and we're going to hardwire it in. And then if we can introduce that kind of new thing, that new light, yeah, amazing stuff happens. Brain, body, mind, all of that, lives, you know, you constantly hear people's story that they have an internal shift and then their external world shifts as well, whether that be their body and pain or relationships, jobs, all of that fun stuff. Something that stood out to me again, because thinking like preparation of, of movers is the variance and how it stimulates the frontal lobe. Because I feel like, again, we want to be experts in something. So we find something and we feel like we put a 10,000 hour rule out there, which I'm really not a big fan of. And we continue to drill that. Then we're, then we're going to naturally see things elevate. But uh, what I've kind of found is like the more variance you can throw into the system, the more well-rounded individual you will have before you. And you're, you're going to stimulate that brain and things will begin to flow together. Your, your body will find more solutions. Would you agree with all that? Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of articles um, of like trainers and, um, and therapists, you know, talking. They seem like they're uh, pointed at parents of being like, don't hyper focus on your kids being, you know, just football or just basketball, like have the variance as you're saying. And then they reference like some of the best, you know, athletes that we know in the world. And, you know, they grew up doing three different sports, not just the one. And so, yeah, if you have that bit of variance, as you said, more well-rounded. Yeah. It's, and let them have fun while they do it too. Right. That's huge. That's really big. Even just pure exercise, you see people doing it and they, their face just says I'm torturing myself. And it's like, I'm not sure how much good you're doing right how now. Much, how much longer are you going to keep coming back to do that, right? I had a, a movement instructor did an exercise class, and and he'd be looking around the room, and he'd be like, smile up, smile up. He's like, we're going to keep doing this till the whole room's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be like, all right, yeah. <laughs> so one more major concept, and I'll give you a chance again to talk about adaptable polarity and kind of where people can find you and follow uh, all your stuff. I want to talk about the human spiral because I've actually heard this uh, on, I think I listened to it on Just Fly uh, Sports Performance Podcast, and they were referencing the spiral and, you know, how the body moves in spirals. And uh, I've seen you put out several posts. I think you put one out like maybe yesterday or the day before referencing another system and uh, about the spiral in the body. And, you know, one of the things you pointed out is that our DNA which are the building blocks of life for us is a spiral. So can we talk a little bit about the human spiral, how it goes from the micro all the way up to the macro and just kind of give us that holistic view on the human spiral? Yeah. I mean, we have a little bit of focus on it in the therapeutic world with, you know, spiral lines of fascia, but really 
everywhere in the natural world, it's just filled with a spiral. Um, this is how uh, creation happens, right? So the conch shell and it spirals out. We see it in the ram's horn and us as well. Um, we we kind of do spiral out. We, we kind of start in a little ball and collection and then kind of fold out of that as we're embryos into these contractile fields. And then all of our movement is really about accessing the spiral. I see it more as a coil as we go um, away from center or long and then come back. I referenced him before, Gary Ward. He shows how like there's a lamination uh, uh, to the pelvis through gait. And that's like a figure eight. A true spiral, you know, spirals out from seemingly nowhere to something. Um, we can't really utilize that. Uh, well, come back to that maybe if I remember. But in terms of movement, we can't really utilize that spiral. So we need it to go out and then to come back. And so that creates this figure eight or Mobius coil. And that has all sorts of energetic uh, scalar energy and concepts that get way far out there that I also love, but don't know if we have time for. And, and really it's about that three planar motion, flexing, I'm adducting and internally rotating. And that allows for everything to kind of bend and go long. And then when I do the opposite of that, that allows everything to push and move me through space. And so I just have this pump, right? And coming from the foot, it is a diaphragm. It is a pump especially for, as we mentioned, lymph, to get lymph out of the feet. If that, that arch of the foot is going flat and arching, right? Pronation is not bad, only if it's stuck there. So if it's going down and coming back up, all those little reflexes in the feet then tell the knee what to do and tell the hip what to do. And it's just this constant ringing and spiraling all through the body. The way that that comes, becomes important becomes you know lines of connectivity so that we can see and show why looking at an ankle is effective for a hip um, of why looking at a jaw you know is effective for a hip uh, it connects the whole body that way and again it's something that works in tension and compression right so i can compress it down and the coil receives that and then I can pull it apart like a rope, right? A rope's coiled. You don't have straight ropes because it doesn't work as well. All the ropes are coiled because you get that extra um, strength and tension. And uh, yeah, it was just, again, looking at the universe and then the human body. And I was like, why aren't we talking about this more? I guess I'm a little spiral obsessed. It makes sense because it's more energy efficient as well. It's It's facilitating movement. Like we referenced earlier, like, the ability to connect and disconnect. Well, if you're not able to disconnect and properly relax, then the movement becomes much more taxing. And and the spiraling nature of that gives you a lot more like shock absorption and sending it back through. And we're talking about interconnectivity again and the idea of the tension and compression. Those two things marry together. You're too tense, you're on one end of the spectrum. You have too much compression, you're on the other. You're either going to be like a flabby pancake or either you're going to be like a brick. And neither one of them are yeah. going to really accomplish it, right? Yeah, it reminds me of uh, early on learning, like, you know, guys that weight lift a lot, they needed to do yoga. And then yogis and yoginis, they needed to do strength training. <laughs> you balance that, balance your, balance your poles back towards center a bit. And that's, again, that goes back to the variance and then creativity and, and driving all those different things to 
to all flow together and, and come together really nicely. Too far on one side, it, there's going to be a dual existence either way. Life is going to drive you to have to deal with both sides of the spectrum. So if you can't find somewhere where everything comes together, then polarity is, is going to tear you apart, essentially. And that's, that's probably where we see a lot of injury. A lot of people you see waddling around that uh, can't, can't move effectively. That's, that's what we see play out before our eyes every day, I feel like. Yeah, well said. And uh, just to end out, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about your website, any any offerings you have out there, and then we'll jump off. Yeah, sure. Just as things begin to open back up, bubbling conversations about courses coming back, taught trainers, uh, massage therapists, physical therapists, chiropractors, acupuncturists, OTs, and even a couple of psychotherapists have taken it. Just, you know, they've heard about it and wanted that concept of holding space and to listen to that, listening in an all new way through their body. In fact, some of those psychotherapists have been some of my greatest teachers as students as well. So that's a series of three courses. would love to get back uh, traveling and teaching. Um, there will be an adaptation online and changing those courses a little bit because of how so online based we have become in the last year. So I will be getting up some courses this summer, um, little like hour long courses and um, not charging too much for them. And then, yeah, I'm on social media just as adaptable polarity. I love letting energy flow through my fingertips. I think that's well part of how I became attracted to being a manual therapist um, and also background in architecture, combined anatomy and architecture. And I'm drawing anatomical figures and trying to make them look beautiful and uh, hope they convey some meaning and as well as that. And so they're all, all the past ones are kind of compiled in a PDF on my webpage polarity.com and then all the artwork comes i won't stop it's too fun yeah i want to say like i look at the artwork all the time I'm like i wish i could put that in my home gym I, I love all the different artwork you put up there so those those are those are worth a look just just on uh instagram as well i love looking at those and uh i'll link all of your i'll link your instagram i'll link your website as well in our show notes I've really enjoyed today's conversation. I, I love the different ideas. I like how we kind of dove into the micro, but then we also took a step back and we looked at the macro because I feel like in our world, we're so condensed within our own micro world, our own small world. We never step back. And you have people who like to be philosophical. They stay in the macro, see big ideals, and they never get down into the nitty gritty details. So that's one thing I found interesting about your system. That's why I wanted to have you on. I really enjoyed what you've been able to facilitate on those ideas today. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to give Jordan a follow on Instagram. His account is linked in the notes. He puts up some stunning artwork to go with the stellar concepts that he provides. Also, give the Adaptable Polarity webpage a look for text links on some of the topics covered in today's conversations. To keep up with all the latest content, don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review if you feel led to do so.